Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by BetterHelp. Here at The Underdog, we know life can be difficult, and sometimes you need to talk to someone. That's why we have partnered with BetterHelp, the leader in online therapy. Underdog listeners can save 10% on their first month. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash underdog. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com forward slash underdog to get your discount today. Today, we've got the opportunity to sit down with comedian and Cincinnati legend, Josh Sneed. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I told Kyle this, uh, you know, I was nervous, you know, with having a, having a comedian on the show just because of what you do. Um, you know, I know sitting front row of a comedy show is not always the most wise decision you can make because you can become the butt of the show. So, uh, Josh, obviously want to welcome you to the Underdog Podcast, man. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Oh, guys, it's my pleasure to be on here. And uh, it's funny that you just said that because, as I'm sure we'll get into, we're recording this during the quarantine, uh, the the uh, coronavirus uh, that's going on in the country. And the last gig that I had before this started was in San Francisco, which other than Seattle was kind of ground zero for where the virus hit the U.S. first. And I was doing shows in San Francisco just a couple weeks ago. And what was funny is like no one was leaving their house. So the crowds were kind of small, but we were having, you know, 40, 50 people at the shows, but the people who showed up would not sit in the front row. <laughs> and that was hilarious to me that it's like, we'll, we'll go out in public and risk getting this virus that could kill us, but I'm not going to sit in the front row. So this guy can pick on me. I'm scared of that. <laughs> That is hilarious. Yeah, the, the avoid. I, I learned when I was out there. This is kind of interesting. I know we're getting off a little bit of the subject, but uh, they have like a poop app. I guess that there's so much fecal matter. I know this is going down. What? Calvin's looking at me right now. <laughs> but I guess a lot of people. So not only do they avoid the uh, the poop on the way to the show, then they were scared to sit in the front. Yeah, they're just that's a wild wild times out there. California's a different yeah, level. Yeah, it's cr- it's unprecedented, no question. So I don't know if you knew that. So next time you're back there, make sure you download that app. Someone told me about it and I downloaded it and I didn't realize it, but <laughs> there literally is it's like landmines as you're walking. They literally it's like ways <laughs> when you have an accident, they literally put it. <laughs> True story. I'm telling you, look it up. I can't remember. I, I I obviously deleted the app. It's been years since I've been out there. But my aunt and uncle. But there's an app for everything. There's an app for everything, including fecal matter laying Jordan, in the street. Jordan Palmer, uh, Carson's younger brother, who is a backup uh, quarterback for him with the Bengals, created an app called Run P, which is just designed for people who are at the movie theater and want to know the best time to get up and go to the bathroom during oh the movie gosh, so they don't miss anything important. That's amazing. And it's still a legit app right now? I believe so, yeah. Right. <laughs> Run P. <laughs> See, look, never know what you're going to learn on the UDP. That's, so now, that's right. Now, are you one of those? I, I mean, I've seen obviously some of your shows. Uh, do you pick on your front row? I haven't seen that. I don't. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I don't. I don't pick on anybody that uh, doesn't deserve it. You know. <laughs> uh, I'm just. You know, my feeling is like people come to the comedy club because they want to hear your act. Right. So. I try to do my act as much as possible and not get too far off on ripping on somebody or tangents. Now, if somebody's being loud or drunk or there's a bachelorette party that wants to uh, have all the focus of the show on them, I'll typically deal with it. But my <laughs> preference is that everybody just listens. I love how you said deal with it. <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, I, with this being the underdog, we, we like to, you know, really talk about kind of what that adverse moment is, um, you know, with, with our different guests and, you know, in our pre-notes, we're going to definitely talk about your journey, uh, you know, transitioning from corporate America into your role and becoming a comedian and, and all the success that you've had. But uh, in 2008 was a very adverse moment for you. Um, you lost your father and you kind of touched on that. Uh, again, in our pre-notes, um, can you kind of take us back to 2008 and, you know, 
the effect of losing your father and, and quote unquote your best friend? Yeah, I mean, why not? Let's get the tears rolling. <laughs> we get to the funny. Stuff. Yeah, we go from poop um, to, to this, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's all, it's all matters though. Uh, so, you know, my dad, I think, was a big part of why I became a comedian because he was he was super funny, and that like as a kid, you know, you sort of have like memories from when you're a kid that you're like they're like kind of like highlights right like you don't necessarily remember how you got to this place or that place but you remember like just certain things that stick out with you and i always remembered my dad as being someone that was super funny that like when there was a big group of adults that he was the one that was making everybody laugh and that kind of stuck with me for a while and not only was it in his personality but when I was a kid, he was a model maker at Kenner Toys. So he worked at a toy company and he always sort of acted like a giant child. Um, and that was never lost on me growing up. And I think that that sort of helped shape my sense of humor and what I was, what I found funny. And for me, at a, at a kind of an early age in my childhood, I, I fell in love with Saturday Night Live, uh, was my favorite thing to watch like the one show that i would not miss and then i liked slapstick comedies like uh airplane and caddyshack and like like kind of silly stuff so i think that my dad's sense of humor and the the shows and movies i watched were sort of what laid the groundwork for becoming a comedian and my dad was in the navy he traveled you know he was in uh the Philippines and he was stationed in California and my mom was somebody who uh, he had dated in high school, but never really left Cincinnati for traveling or for working or anything. And so I think that that influence of my dad of like living a life where he had seen parts of the world and traveled and experienced different things outside of that sort of Cincinnati bubble that I think a lot of people who grow up here fall into uh, I think that also helped shape my, my desire to be a comedian and try something different and uh, really get out there and see what the world offered beyond just here locally in Cincinnati. And so when I lost him in 2008, um, you know, it kind of it kind of opened my eyes to like you never really know how much time you have. So whether that I applied that to being a comedian and, you know, like doing what I love or, uh, you know, appreciating the time that I have with my family. Like it really sort of kicked me into gear in terms of like, you know, like <clears throat> make the most of, of the time that you have, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that I've tried to do a, a, a good job, whether I have done a good job or not, it's certainly been front of mind to apply that to every aspect of my life, whether it's occupationally or socially or within my own household of like, you just never know when it's your time. So make the most of it. Yeah. And, and as I said, you know, I, I lost my dad when I was actually eight years old. And, you know, as you get older, obviously you start to look back and reflect and, you know, I have very, very vague memories, but for me now having kids, it's one of those, you, you keep it at front of mind. If he were here, you know, how, how would he want me to be? What would he be his expect expectations? How would I make him proud? So completely understand where you're coming from when you kind of say the front of mind, you know, it's always there and you just want to become, you know, be somebody who can, who obviously he would be proud of. And I, I think he would be very, well, obviously he got to see you do stand up, So he's definitely proud of you and, <laughs> and, and knows how funny you are and the success that you're having so and also he should see, well i appreciate you saying that did he see you uh you grew up i'm assuming he saw you growing up and playing baseball because me, me and josh have played some ball together out in arizona an old man uh fantasy league so he was able to see you uh hit some rocket shots before uh 2008 hopefully well that's the thing man is that uh as probably uh obvious by my performances at fantasy camp like i knew what, i knew what i was doing but i was never the star yeah. and i think that that also really influenced the desire to be funny is because i was always hanging out with the the jocks but i was i never really considered myself a jock but i was like the guy that always made him laugh and i and 
you know, I, I picked up on that, that there were other things I could bring to the table. Like if you watch any like baseball movie or sport movie, there's always a guy in the team who's not the best, but he's clearly the funniest. And that was me. Yeah. Well, you need, you need those glue guys. You gotta really need, you gotta, you know, and, and you're, uh, we could have probably used you this year. I know you didn't go out this year, but, uh, lost in the championship game. We, we could have used another glue guy. So that's what I'm going I'm to I'm blame it on Josh. That's that's what I'm going to go away. I've been. I'll be uh, there next year. Yeah, there you go. Hopefully we can team up. But um, kind of transitioning, and one of my passions uh, is is to fall through like with the underdog. Is is the journey for me was starting in a startup company and then growing it. So going back to how I think that relates to you is obviously working in corporate America, as Calvin said at P and G, as I believe a systems analyst. Um, then to, you know, progressing into making that leap similar to one of our previous guests, Joel Willis, that he did from Kroger to the dad or scary mommy, um, explain kind of that leap of faith, um, or, you know, how you got into, cause that's a big change once again, from corporate America to being a comedian, now very successful, uh, entrepreneur with Cincinnati or uh, Cincy shirts, excuse me, you have your own podcast, which is a hell of a lot better than ours. And, uh, and, uh, so just kind of go through, um, would love to learn your journey more in detail. Yeah. So, you know, I had a very traditional educational background. Uh, my mom worked for Procter and Gamble. And as I said, my dad was, uh, he worked for a toy company. So, uh, growing up, like education was uh, very important in our house. It always came first above sports or anything else. So, uh, I got I got good grades in school and uh, and because I had a uh, high school sweetheart that was two years younger than me, I opted not to go away to college. So I went to NKU and uh, while I was at NKU, I started working uh, in the like I was a computer science major at first. And so the jobs that I would take were sort of, I tried to find stuff in the field that I could use as like experience for when I finally graduated. And I stumbled upon this summer job when I was at NKU that it was a company that had been uh, contracted to Procter and Gamble to upgrade all of their computers, like literally every computer in the whole company at the plants, at the offices nationwide, this company got the job to do those upgrades. And so um, I started working for them. It was just going to be a summer job. And then by the time that the summer was over uh, and I was ready to go back for what would have been my junior year at NKU, they said, hey, why don't you keep working for us? And in six months, we'll pay for your schooling and you can go to school at night, go to school for free. And by the time you graduate, you'll have like three years experience in the field. And I was like, this is perfect. So that's what I opted to do. And then um, six months later, <laughs> they lost the contract to Procter & Gamble. And uh, I found myself not in school and without a job. So I was trying to figure out what to do for sort of that spring semester where I would have been going back to uh, school. Uh and I was like, I'll just find some kind of, you know, basic job and start back up full time again and get back on the right path. Well, in that six month window, I decided to try stand up comedy for the first time because I'd always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live and I had no idea how to start. So I thought maybe this is maybe this is a good spot doing like an open mic night. And uh, and then I fell in love with it. And in, in that time frame, also, I got a letter from Procter & Gamble saying, you know, basically, we heard you did a good job for us with, when you were a contractor. Would you like to uh, apply for employment to actually work for Procter & Gamble? So I started that process, and it took about a year before I actually got the job. And uh, at that point, I'd been doing open mic nights for a year. So when I started at PNG, I was kind of like already a year into performing here locally and I was loving it and I was doing it every chance I got. So over the course of the next three and a half years at Procter and Gamble, I got more and more into comedy. I was using my vacation days to go on the road with comedians who asked me to come open for them. 
like my favorite comic of all time, Mitch Hedberg asked me if I wanted to come open for him. So I would use vacation days to go to like North Dakota in February just to work with him. And, uh, and so the more I got into it and the more I thought maybe I could actually give this a try, you know, I was 24 years old and I thought if this doesn't work out, I'm still young enough that I could get back into corporate America and rebuild that sort of corporate life and have a steady income. And Procter and Gamble at the time was offering separation packages because they were having some cutbacks. So even though my job was safe, I volunteered to take a separation package and I used that six month salary and benefits as sort of my transition from my day job into to trying to be a comedian full time, um, in hopes that I would, I would never have to go back to that. And you, you know, didn't luckily so far. I haven't. Yeah. So I do have a question when you decide, cause you said this in one, uh, your one stand up, uh, back in the desert, you said, I'm funny. Like I'm funny all the time. And I know there's a difference between being funny out on the street because I think I'm a very funny guy as well. You do? I do. I'm uh, very funny. Wow. But okay. that's new. You guys are la- Josh laughed. That's all the, the matter. whole room's laughing right here. Yeah, yeah, because I'm funny. So, but there's a difference in thinking, okay, I'm funny, but then wanting to actually get up on stage because if I had to get up on stage and tell jokes, soon as I got booed, my career would be over. So, where does that? Where did you gain that confidence or say, okay, I'm going to just go? do an open mic and, and see how this goes. And how did your first open mic really go for you? First couple, I guess. <laughs> um, well, I, I tell young comics or people who think about doing comedy the same thing. I answer that question the same way. I say how, how you respond to the way that it goes the first time you do stand up will determine if you should ever do stand up again. So if you get up there and you do okay uh, and you have the attitude, man, I want to try that again to see if I can do better. Or if you do really well and say, I want to get back up there again and see if I can do the same or better. But if you get up there and eat it and you're like, man, I don't ever want to do that again, then that's sort of your own answer. Right. But if you get up there and you eat it and you say, I'm going to try that again. That's, that's when you know that it might be for you. Like no matter how it goes when you're on stage, if you can't wait to get back up there again, that's your, that's your mind telling yourself, like I can do this, you know? Um, For me personally, I tried to stack the deck for the first time that I went on stage. So I had it planned out months in advance. I couldn't get a hold of the comedy club here locally so I booked the open mic up in Dayton and I told everybody, let's go. You're coming. I'm going to, you're going to see me do stand up for the first time. And I had like 75 people ready to come drive up to Dayton to watch me. Well, the week before the guy from the local club here in Cincinnati, go bananas called me and said, we had a fallout. Do you want to do it? I know you've been leaving me voicemails. So I went and did it and didn't tell anybody so that I could have like a practice round before all my friends were going to see me. Right. So, so like four or five of my friends saw me do stand up for the first time and about 75 other people think they saw me do stand up for the first time. Well, now but they, now they you know have that confidence of your friends in the audience who are supportive and laughing at you. That is, a, that is a false positive, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's not until you're in a room where no one knows you and you get a true test of how well you're doing that you can decide, am I good at this or not? Or do I have what it takes to try to get better? But you know what? That, so I think not to interrupt real I think quick. A lot of people, yeah, yeah. Just to add into that, um, do you think about that preparation? I just wanted to call it out before I forgot because I got bad ADD here. So, but I think it's such a great point. Think about the you prepared. You were able to take. You know, we talk about all the time. Like, how do you take takeaways from this podcast? And I think one right here is if you know you want to do something like you did. Like you said, you prepared, but then you seized an opportunity that presented itself. You weren't scared to go out. And so you took that go bananas before, then you stack the deck in Dayton. And then, so your third one, really, like you said, that momentum of crawling before you walk, before you're running, 
I think it's something is critical in any part of life. So I just wanted to make sure to kind of, you know, I think that's yeah. so intangible to anyone that's listening that that's, you know, that's a strategy that Josh put in that I think is super effective in any, any career. So anyway, that's awesome. man. Well, I, I love was, that. I was lucky in that when I did stand up the first time I had somebody who knew that I wanted to try it, who used to do it themselves. And they sort of helped me avoid a lot of the pitfalls that, um, most people fall into when they try stand up for the first time, whether it's a joke that a million other people have done, or you're being too dirty or whatever it is, you know, the, the, it's a lot easier to spot someone who's doing it for the first time because it's like, there's like classic tells that they're new. Do you know what I mean? Right. And for me, uh, I never really had the stage fright thing. I was just curious is what I think is funny off stage going to be funny on stage. And so, uh, to have someone sort of comb through the material I wanted to do and say, yes, you should do more of this and don't do this it really helped me stand out to people who are watching me going, man, this is that guy's first time, but he's not doing all the classic things we see people do when it's their first time. And so what I tell other comics that are at, that ask me like, Hey, how do I get better? Or what would you, you know, what's your advice to getting into this? I tell them get on stage as much as you can, but also go watch as many shows as you can because watching professionals do it, you can learn just as much as doing it yourself. You can learn what to do when someone does want to heckle you or when something happens in the room or how to structure your jokes. Like there's so many things you can do just by watching um, that will help you prepare for when you go to do it. And I always tell people, if you think you want to do it, you should do it because even if you hate it, it will give you an appreciation for the people who do it professionally, just the same way as being a server. Everyone should have to be a server one day yeah. because if you're a server for one day, you will never not tip someone. Exactly. <laughs> it's a, that's a hard, we actually recruit a lot from, from the restaurant industry. I mean, it's incredible, uh, like people skills. You can't, it's hard to, hard to teach that. And that experience as Malcolm Gladwell says, you know, those 10,000 experiences of having those social interactions, obviously, you know, can really be transferable into the business world. And then something else I, I, I'm taking here too, is so much like you're, you're advising other people you're mentoring. I was just with a sales rep yesterday and I said, Hey, go, go shadow, you know, these three different reps learned, you know, like you said, learn from them, see them interact, see how they do it, take the fundamentals, but then create your own way. Um, not everything is just in a cookie cutter fashion, you know, do the fundamentals, whether it's sports or it's in sales or in, in your profession of being a, um, you know, comedian, you know, that is, that is, uh, so, so, so true. I just, it's, I love it, man. I, I had no idea. I, I'll be honest. I, I had no idea this would, you know, all these business practices be coming out. I'm like, this is incredible. Sneed, I'm going to have a sneak. Come talk to us. Uh, do, uh, <laughs> not, not stand up and do comedy, man. He should just, just come talk. Yeah. We're, I said, in uh, I told Gary Brackett, another guest, I said, you might want to run the company. So Gary can be the CEO and Josh can be the COO, <laughs> except he's, he's probably doing a lot better. Yeah. So, but well, uh, good the stuff. Other thing, the other thing that I've tried to do is apply what I've learned in the business world and other jobs to comedy, because a lot of people, and especially comedians, I see this happen a lot where they think it's just about being funny. Like if you can just be funny on stage, then everything else will take care of itself. And there is a very short list of people that that's true for. There is a business side to comedy. Uh, you know, you hear the phrase like everybody's a comedian, right? Well, there's a lot of people who think they're comedians and try to become comedians and then they can't figure out why they can't separate themselves from other people. And it's because they don't do the things that supplement being funny on stage, right? There's like a professional side to how you act at the comedy club and how you treat the staff at the comedy club and your email interactions with the people who book the comedy club and your website and your social media, like all that comes into play both with building a fan base and building a rapport with people in the industry. And I think a lot of people that gets lost on because they're just like, well, I'm funny on stage and that's all I got to worry about. But I was able to apply like marketing stuff I've learned. I was able to apply the, my computer background. I mean, I had a website like 
the the first time I did an open mic night, which is just hilarious. I mean, back, <laughs> you know, we're talking 1998. So it's, not everybody had websites back then and social media didn't exist, but you know, I was trying to think ahead of like approaching this. Like if I'm going to leave a job like Procter and Gamble, I want to make sure that I'm putting myself in the best position to succeed. And I think that that was really important for me too, because, you know, knowing what you're giving up to follow a dream is, is what makes you more apt to succeed when you do follow that dream. Like, if you were, if you were, you know, a server and I'm not, I'm not belittling servers, but I'm saying like, if you have a job that, you know, you could go out and get another one of that job tomorrow, then, you know, you may not have the same drive as like, I went to school my whole life to get this job. So if I'm going to leave it to try this, I got to make sure I'm prepared to succeed at this because I know what I'm giving up to, to do it. I think Absolutely. Awesome. And you speaking of like 1998, I was just sitting on my, I was laughing. My wife asked me last night, what are, what are you laughing at? I, I was like, I'm laughing at uh, Josh Sneed back in 98. He has the blue still steel Ben Stiller. Look, <laughs> I didn't even know. There's like a picture of you. I, I found it was like your first, I don't know, whatever. It was a beginning at picture. My fighting weight. Yeah. You had like this blue steel look and she goes, what are you laughing at? And I said, this picture, it's hilarious. So anyway, I love the early pictures. I love the journey, love falling. Um, speaking of, you know, adding on to that, something I'm very curious about and ask a lot of guests that are, like I said, own multiple companies like yourself, do, you know, travel on the road. Uh, how do you balance? I know you got two kids, beautiful wife in a, in a pug, I believe. And uh, how do you balance that uh, time between work and your other businesses and your family? Well, again, you know, uh, something that you kind of hit on a minute ago in terms of like preparation and having a little bit of foresight. So when I first started doing stand up, one of the things I noticed was there was a lot of older guys. And when I say older, I mean, like late 60s uh, who have been doing stand up. You know, you go through the halls of the comedy clubs and you see their first headshot and then you see them like you know, 40 years later and that's all they've ever known. That's all they do. And they're still out on the road and they've had multiple divorces or they don't know their children or whatever it is, because all they've ever known is being a comedian and being by themselves on the road. And they have to take whatever work they can get because of it. And, you know, uh, I think even before I lost my dad, but certainly when I lost my dad, it drove the point home. I, I wanted to not only keep comedy fun for me, but I also wanted to make sure that I was around to enjoy other aspects of life, be it a wife or children or both or whatever. So I decided in 2005 to start a business with a friend of mine that for me, I didn't need the business to be successful right away because I was paying my bills being a comedian. But if I could just get that seed planted and let the business grow in its own time, then I knew that one day that could hopefully supplement the comedy income or maybe even take over the comedy income because I knew there would come a day where I didn't want to be gone all the time. You know, when you're 24 and you've never really traveled that much, it's like every hotel is nicer than your apartment. You want to go out after the shows, uh, you're single, you know, you've never been to these cities. So you want to spend your days like sightseeing. And then you get to a point in your life where it's like, no hotel is as nice as my house. I've been to all these cities, so I don't need to go see the Arch or the Alamo or whatever, you know, the the Yarn Museum or whatever is in that town. And then, um, you know, I'm not going out every night after the shows. So it's like when you get to a point where I am today, just in life, like performing is the only part of the journey that really gives me that same joy that I've always had. Like the rest of it just doesn't uh, appeal to me anymore. So the hope was that the t-shirt company would one day reach a point that I didn't have to do comedy. I would only be doing comedy because I still loved it and wanted to. And that's been very important for me to never feel like comedy is a job because I don't have to do it anymore. I do it because I love it. I can be more selective with what gigs I take. Uh, I can take summers off completely. 
Uh, my wife doesn't have to work so she can be home with the kids when they're at these young ages. And it lets me uh, be home to coach little league or, you know, go to dance recitals, whatever it is, because I don't have to be gone all the time. Um, and that's very, that's very important to me. So the balance sort of, uh, that I have now stems from a decision I made 15 years ago to start the t-shirt company, knowing that when I got to this point in my life, I would need a balance between comedy and everything else. Yeah. And I think that's such a smart move to diversify, like you said, to give yourself options. That's such a, once again, another transferable recommendation, but one thing I was thinking about, I think it's like hot. I was thinking in my mind, hot off the presses, Cincy Shirts is going to release a Black and Decker UDP shirt. That's what that's what the rumor is. Cincinnati Choir's reporting just now. So it was on Fox News too. Oh, it was on Fox News. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, fake Here we news. Go. This is fake news. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I wanted to stay on the topic too. Of uh, <laughs> we're not even gonna let you go with that, one, Josh. <laughs> right. Yeah, we we put them on the spot. Yeah. Dude, I, I we could have a UDP shirt up tomorrow. Let's go. There you go. Let's yeah. Go. And if everyone's 100%, seen percent. Hundred percent, it's gonna happen. And this That's is a problem. shout out. Cincy shirts got talent. Yes. This man has talent in general. He's a social media consultant. Man has Cincy shirts. He's a comedian. He's this. He's that. Um, but man, these shirts they come up with are hilarious. I mean, I just think it's. I, I just go there to look at. I should be buying more of them, but my wife would probably. I'm running out of space, but um, they are awesome, man. So you got. I love what you guys are doing over there for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's fun. Yeah, no doubt. So I wanted to, I do want to, because I heard this story, uh, doing some research. Uh, the, the story of how you met your wife, um, she was actually uh, <laughs> in the audience, and then there was a MySpace piece there as well. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, we're dating it already by even bringing up MySpace, <laughs> but my page is still up. So if you want to see where I'm playing in 2007, go check out my MySpace page. <laughs> uh, so, I, uh, so this was actually right after I lost my dad. Uh, I was, I had gone through a pretty bad breakup, um, like literally within the month after, uh, his passing and I kind of swore off dating, you know, I was just sort of over it. I was at like such a bad point. And that's, a, that's the other thing, you know, to kind of go back to the first question you asked about doing, doing comedy and, and going through that, that, um, that moment of losing my dad is it's like, I was really trying to figure out how can I go on stage and be funny at the point where I've never felt sadder in my life personally. Do you know what I mean? It was like such a weird thing. It wasn't like, you know, a day job where I could just go sit in a cubicle and be sad and get my work done. It was like I had to like put on a face and emote, you know, the same way uh, that I normally would. And what I learned was, and this is something that I still I'm so appreciative today that I don't think I ever realized until I went through that moment is that comedy like helped me the way that I've heard that it helps other people. You know, I'll get people come up to me after shows or I'll get emails and it could range from like, I had a bad day today or I just lost my job or I went through a divorce or someone passed away, whatever it is, people are like, Hey man, thank you. Like you, you for an hour, like you took that away from me and I had fun. You know, it's like the first night I've been out in however long. And it was like, I always heard that from people, but I never really understood it until I was going through it. And I think there's just something about the atmosphere of a comedy club of people laughing that it just like it's infectious, not only to the audience within each other, but I found out that it affected me, that it, it became my escape. And right after my dad passed, I got a record deal from Comedy Central. And I had these shows booked in Cincinnati. He passed the, the day after the Super Bowl in February. And I was booked at Go Bananas two weeks later. And I thought about canceling the shows. And then I realized that while I was going through his sickness, that it was actually sort of therapeutic. And I knew that people would want to support me at that time because I was very public about his passing. I decided to go ahead and do the shows at Go Bananas. And they all sold out. And it was really good for me. Um, you know, fi financially, because I had taken a lot of time off when he was sick, but also uh, emotionally and, and just in sort of a positivity state of mind of like, I can keep doing this even though he's gone. 
But then right after those shows at Go Bananas, I got offered a record deal from Comedy Central. And I knew that I wanted to record it at my home club, but I had literally just been there. So I decided to wait a couple months and it was around May. And uh, and I was like, hey, guys, uh, remember that show you just saw two months ago? Well, I'm going to do it again. And I need you to come back again and laugh like you haven't heard it before because I'm recording it for Comedy Central. So uh, I was able to sell out the shows again just two months later. And I was getting a bunch of friend requests on MySpace. And I see this friend request from this hot brunette. And I was like, oh, who is this? And I see she's local. And it was right at like literally like the Monday after I had recorded the shows. And I said, uh, I was like, you know, who's this? Oh, she lives here. And I was, you know, I don't know if you guys remember MySpace, but it, you could basically put a profile up that told like every movie you liked, every book you liked, every, you know, whatever. And uh, I was like, this girl's perfect and she's hot. And then it said in a relationship. So. I sent her a note and I was like, why is it when a hot brunette adds me as a friend on MySpace, she's in a relationship? <laughs> and she she responds with, why is it when I meet a charming, cute comedian, I'm going through a bad breakup? And I was like, okay. 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 Yeah, okay. Go. okay. So you're saying the I have a chance. Open. <laughs> right. The door's open. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I kind of stayed in touch with her. You know, she was very adamant about she didn't want to talk to me on the phone. She didn't want to meet me in person. And all the conversations had to be, you know, ab above board. And um, she basically said she was in the process of, you know, the final days of this relationship. Come to find out the reason she was at the show. And this is where it's funny to me, but it probably shouldn't be. Um, she was at the show because I was his favorite comedian. And it was his... <laughs> It was his birthday weekend and she had already bought the tickets before things started to go downhill. And she went reluctantly because it was his birthday. And um, fast forward, you know, 15, 15, almost 15 years later. And uh, that's funny. I don't know that I'm his favorite comedian. Anymore, <laughs> but we, we are married with two beautiful children. That's awesome, man. That's, that's awesome. That is great. And, and just one thing to touch upon, I think right now, as we talked about at the beginning of the pandemic that we're currently in. And um, I don't think your profession could be any more important and more valuable. It's always is like you said, to laugh and there's humor, but as we go through this all together globally, um, man, I, I think, you know, uh, you guys are going to be even more needed. I, I know that because um, when we were thinking about it and once again, appreciate your time, we were, we were, I was like, man, we really need Josh. Cause right now we could definitely, you know, give some people some smiles and hopefully some laughs, uh, during this. And, and, um, you know, I think that's, that's important right now. So I, I just wanted to say that. And I know speaking of that, like touching upon, I know you had some big, big time events coming up for you and, uh, everyone, uh, obviously can feel sorry for themselves, but how are you going to get through this? Cause we <laughs> talked about before you're not feeling you're, you're going to come out stronger. Just I'm sure like everyone is, um, or you have a plan in place, kind of talk through some of the pain points you might be experiencing with all this well again this is a perfect uh a perfect time for me to talk to other comedians especially but really anyone in any field about the importance of diversifying like you said you know i'm lucky in that even though i've had you know live gigs canceled that i still have these other sources of income uh because there's a lot a lot of really good friends of mine out there that don't have any way to make money right now. So you see them doing shows in their living room online with no audience and putting out virtual tip jars because that's how they're going to have to, that's how they're going to have to make money, you know, until this all uh, passes us. And so now more than ever, I've been so thankful for these other sources of income, but you know uh, I was booked. I was supposed to leave this Monday to headline the MGM Grand in Las Vegas for the first time. So I was going to have sort of like my bucket list uh, event for doing stand-up of headlining a major casino in Vegas. Um, and I was going to uh, be out there for a week. And then I, and then I was flying from there.
there to go to the practice round of the masters so wow. like two of these like incredibly uh you know amazing experiences are are currently put on hold and i know that they'll happen at some point but um it's it's crazy when you you circle these things as like you know major events in your life of like oh my gosh i've always wanted to do this and i've i finally get to and it's like no you can't leave your basement for a month and a half like you know i do think the world needs comedy in times like that you know nobody's boohooing me because there's people out there who can't eat right now you know yeah. and they can't feed their kids and it's like you know it's in a way i could feel sad for myself that i don't get these experiences but it's very much needed perspective that I think I, I hope that I can hang on to after this is all said and done that it's like, you know, there's a lot of people out there. Like I, it makes me appreciate the things that I have, I guess is what it boils down to, which I think is, is something that we all need from time to time. Yeah, definitely humbling experience for all of us, I think. And, and I think um, all of your professions or businesses will be surging back just like hopefully ours is, is too. You know, people are going to be dying to get out of their houses, um, you know, to get get out and see and hopefully MGM and you'll be headlining and it'll be an, a great show. I'm sure eventually will happen. So and I'll say this too, like just following you on Twitter and, and following, you know, people who have some type of fame or whatnot. But, you know, even your, like, with being a comedian, like just seeing your content and it's being it, it's funny, you know, your wordplay, the one you had about. Um, the guy shopping at Home Depot and how regular commercials are like extremely funny now, like things like that. Like just, yeah. I just want to tell you that personally, like those things do have an impact and, you know, give people, I think a much needed laugh right now or so the, continue doing what you're Or doing. the one I loved was when you screenshotted Wendy's that it gave you a recommendation, man. I saw that in the middle. We've had unfortunately <laughs> some, some tough times here. I looked at that the other day and I just started dying laughing. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, like, I think that that's, um, you know, again, it's like, these are, these are uncharted waters for us. So even as a comedian, like I'm trying to find that balance of like, this is a very serious thing. You know, there's people, there's people dying from this, but there's also people that really could use a laugh. So it's like, I'm trying to be very thoughtful in what I say and do that. It's like, let's, let's not lose our sanity um, because we're stuck inside and we miss our friends and we, you know, probably a lot of us miss our jobs and being interactive with family. Um, but there is a need for humor. So it's like a weird balance of like, not, not too funny, not making fun of it, but also, you know, just finding the right tone, um, that, that I'm really, that's, that's probably what I struggle with more than anything right now. And I would say a lot of comedians feel the same way of like, how do we keep people entertained, but not sort of lessen the importance of dealing what we're going through as a, as a world really? Absolutely. No, great, great words. And we have, I think it's about time to put you on the hot seat, Josh. So we have a rapid fire uh, session here. We got about five questions for you. So I'll kick it off. I think this is not, not too hard of a question, but rank your Cincinnati sports teams, uh, in order and in include college. So we got UC Xavier, I guess Miami, my alma mater. Uh, we might leave that off the list, but uh, let's, not put, let's not add those. FC Cincinnati, obviously the Bengals and the Reds uh, out of those. Uh, let's, let's, well, how would you rank those in terms of just fandom, overall fandom? Yeah, you, for you, for you personally. Sure. What are your favorites? I would say, um, if I'm, if you're ans asking me right now, I would say it's probably Reds, Bengals, FC Cincinnati. Uh, and then I would, I tend to lump local sports beyond that. So I would put Xavier, UC, uh, Dayton, even Miami, NKU, uh, sort of all together in that they weren't, they aren't my favorite teams from when I was a kid, but I pull for them because I love to support local. But like I grew up as a Notre Dame football fan because uh, my cousin was and I liked whatever he liked. So a long time ago, because my dad wasn't into college sports, I decided that I was going to cheer for Notre Dame. And I've just stuck with that. And then um, this is so dumb and, and it's cost me a lot of arguments over the years. But when I was in uh, when I was in second grade, I went to a basketball camp 
and they separated us by uh in groups we were assigned a college mascot so there was like the jayhawks and the tar heels and i was on the blue devils so i in second grade i decided that i was a blue devils fan and uh I live in Kentucky now and I have to watch uh, over both shoulders whenever I walk down the street <laughs> because I'm surrounded by people who, who hate that I'm a Duke fan. Yeah, you were in the but, wrong blue or the wrong blue. There. But I've, yeah, yeah, but I've stuck with them my whole life, you know, and I've been kind of proud of that. Even though Notre Dame football and Duke basketball, I, you'd be hard for, pressed to find two teams that people love to see lose more than uh, than those two you're absolutely right proof that i was a fan for for life um but i'm a huge red reds supersede everything like my bait my entire basement is uh is cincinnati red stuff i'll send you some pictures of it that you can use to promote the the podcast because there's some cool stuff down here it and i'll it's hard to be a cincinnati fan that's the way i'll end this question Uh, it's definitely (laughs) hard at the end of the day it's really hard to be a cincinnati fan but one day we're gonna we're gonna come out of it so there is hope and we'll be better for it we'll be better let me me put that on you guys as sports fans and i don't know if you're trying to wrap up and if no you're you're good you got a couple questions more for you uh, more questions so you're going but like i i have this debate with people and i'm curious to get your guys's take would you rather be a boston fan that you expect to be good in every sport every year. And if you're not, it's a disappointment or does having being a Cincinnati fan and going through decades of sadness, make it that much sweeter for, for when, and if you do win. Yeah. So I don't know if you know about this about me, but I'm actually uh, grew up a Browns fan. So I'm like basically from the factory of sadness up there. So um, I'm a Brown season ticket holder still, still to this day. I bought them when they're zero and sixteen. Wow. So I'm more so on your side. I, I I enjoy the pain, especially I'm hoping that when we do win, it's gonna be that much sweeter. Like when the Cavs won in sixteen, I was up there, and it was like the best thing ever. LeBron doesn't play for the Browns. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. But <laughs> you know, the Indians went to the World Series. I was there. You know, so me and my dad went up there, and those are some of the best memories I'll ever have. Now I've obviously coming down to Cincinnati I moved around a lot as a kid but obviously I am a big Reds fan uh, I still can't root for the Bengals as hard as you know my Browns are my, my I squad so, I but, respect it but they um but yeah I, I would say it's a great question I would say I would I would rather have some down years so you know what's the the valley because the the top of the peak is is that much sweeter but here's yeah here's what I was gonna say no, that's that's applicable to everything right like what we just talked about, like it's pers- it's needed perspective sure. to appreciate when things are good that you would never have that perspective if you didn't have understand what the, the, the valley was. I think that's a great analogy, man. No doubt. Here's what I'll say. Being a Cincinnati fan is very, very tough for the simple fact that if you're in Boston at like the energy that 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 the team when they're doing well brings to the city you can't match Cincinnati, the Bengals, the last two or three years, I stopped watching games after week five. I'm like, you know what? We're one and four. It's a wrap, you know? So I see where the, we're in the Valley, but man, this is the long Valley. It's a 30 year Valley, man. Like at some point, like were you just going to (laughs) drop off and die? Are we going to sell the team? Are we going to come back? You know, so we see Joe Burrow standing on a mountaintop waving at us to come join him, winning a Super Bowl with another team because it will probably blow his career. It's oh, like, so my I, like, goodness. I'm all for Joe Burrow as a football guy. I'm, I love the kid. Like, I, I just don't want him to come here and we ruin his career. Did you buy the Burrow shirt that Josh created? I have not bought the Burrow. Oh, man, shirt. that's that's a good one. You're smoking a cigar. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, yeah, we got okay. four more here. A couple for more you. questions. Yeah. So, my next okay. question is. And I'll, and you talked about going to a camp when you were a kid, and I'll lead. I'll kind of tee this question up. Uh, when I was at a basketball camp as a kid, um, I was with one of the Damon Wayans um, sons, and he had told a joke. He said that you know my dad just did a stand up, and he talked about. And I hope I can say this on our own show. Catching me as a kid, um, discovering myself. But he talked about his, and he he was like, I have to go to school and deal with that, you know. So how does your wife? Or your kids respond <laughs> when they are, you know, the butt of the joke. Or how is that as a comedian, knowing that your family's probably going to be a, a hot topic at some point during your show? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because I do I am conscious about that, especially when it comes to my kids. So I try not to put you know too compromising of like photos or jokes that that one day I worry about they could uh you know they would be embarrassed about. Um uh my wife is fair game. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I run everything by her and to her credit, she has a, a great sense of humor of it. If you look at the cover of my second album, which is called uh Unsung Hero, uh that's a photo that was taken just about two days after our son was born. And in the photo, my wife is in a hospital gown with no makeup and her hair done uh, in a, up in a bun. And she hasn't showered in a couple of days. And she uh, she allowed me to put that photo on the cover of an album released by a major label. <laughs> so I think that that shows you. It's true. love, uh, Right. How good of a sense of humor that she has. Um, but it is something I'm ca- I am cautious about and cognizant of. And, and I. Uh, I do run certain things by by her or others before if if I feel like they're approaching that line of maybe I shouldn't say this or post this. Okay, good answer. That's that's good. It's got another another one here. A uh, little baseball. Who is a better fantasy baseball player? Myself or Kyle Decker or Todd Riley? So we've been out there for years, and and I'm, we're going to release this to the fantasy world of uh, Red. So we're going to put you on the on the hot seat here. You know what? I'm taking a cop out answer here. Oh, uh, I've only been twice, and I've never played against you guys. That's right. You know what? So yeah, that's that's hundred percent true. If you just I look think, at the stat lines, that probably have... could help you though. We could, we could send you stats. <laughs> yeah, if I if I had some stats in front of me and you wanted me to give you an opinion on paper, I would one hundred percent be up for that. I'm not scared to answer. I just don't feel like I'm qualified to answer. I'm just gonna go ahead this and guy. say me. Yeah, he's good. I am this guy's good. Than both of you. That's a good answer. Um, what is your favorite place to perform? So my favorite comedy club is actually in Columbus, Ohio. It's the Funny Bone at Easton. Um, and it's for a, a myriad of reasons, but they've done an um, unbelievable job over decades of building an audience that knows how to act. They're smart. They, uh, they show up even on nights where they may not know the name of the person who's headlining. They just know they're going to have a good time, i.e. me. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of comedy clubs that the only time you see them advertise is when it's like a name that you've heard of is going to be there. And then you have like a go bananas or this, or the funny bone. There's a, there's another list of clubs that have just, all they care about is building an audience that says, I may not have heard the person that I'm going to see at the club, but I know if they're here, they're going to be funny. But the, the Columbus funny bone is my favorite club to play. Um, and then I just love performing in New York at the Comedy Cellar. It's this tiny little room that holds like 80 people. And on any given night, you'll see giant name comedians come in and do a couple minutes. And I love performing there because I know the history of the people who've performed there. And that odds are if I'm on that stage, then I'm going to be on the same show as like a bunch of other giant name comedians. So Nice. A little history lesson there. Yeah. <clears throat> what, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this one. This may be a broad question, but what's the worst joke you've ever told? In your, in your oh, name? God. <laughs> <sighs> That's a tough one. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many, but you know, that's the other thing is like when you've been doing stand up for 22 years, at some point you just figure out <laughs> you have a better idea. Like this is going to work. Like, you know what I mean? Right. There's less risk of, I don't know if this is funny or not because I just know how to write for me and I know what will fit into my act and how I'll say it and stuff. So I think now I have a better idea of what's going to work or not. I can tell you about the worst show I've ever had. Yeah, sure. You got a minute. Yes. Um, the two worst experiences I've ever had, the worst experience I ever had, I, I tried to, and I talk about this on my second album. I tried to do stand up at a Dayton dragons baseball game, uh, because the lady who was in charge of like the entertainment between innings thought it would be funny if the umpire did stand up. So she had me dress up like the umpire. And right before I went out there, 
Willie Mo Pena got into an argument with the umpire at the home plate after a close play and got ejected. So the entire stadium hated the umpire. And then he had proceeded to walk into the dugout. And then I walked out of the dugout pretending to be him and trying to get people to laugh at me. So <laughs> 9,000 people were like booing me because they hated me before I ever said a word. I'm, oh, I'm from Dayton and I used to go to Dragons games as a kid. So I can, I'm just picturing that right now. That, that, oh God. <laughs> it was, ter- it was terrible. It was so yeah, bad. That can't but get, I was still like, worse than I was that. like in disguise. So there wasn't like a huge hit on my pride. It just didn't go well, but I did Chad Johnson when he was a Bengal. Uh, he used to do a comedy night at Newport on the levee at the funny bone down there. And, um, I went down, I was asked by Gary Owen to come down and, and perform because he was the MC. And when, uh, as soon as I got to the microphone, I got booed. I didn't even get a joke <laughs> out. And so I'm trying to talk and like the entire room is booing me because they were treating it like Showtime at the Apollo. And uh, and it like, it stung so bad <laughs> because I knew Chad Johnson was there and I was like all excited, like, oh, he's going to see me kill it. We're going to be best <laughs> friends, hang out. And it was like, hey, everybody, you suck. And I was like, all right. And then I just kind of like put the mic back in the mic stand. <laughs> and, uh, Done. And I tried to I tried to leave. Right. I tried to get off stage because it was like, this is not happening well gary owen gets on stage and he kind of scolds the audience he's like you don't act like that this is my friend i asked him to come down he's been on tv i'm gonna bring him back up here and i was like no gary don't do not bring me back up there he's like i'm bringing him back up here and we're gonna do this again and you're gonna act right and so i walked back on stage i was i did not want to go back up there everybody's quiet and i was like so anyway i was just like all right i'm done (laughs) oh man man. i didn't know uh that's just that's some tough spots right there yeah that's Uh, so yeah if anyone's feeling uh i can't imagine being on front stage and just feeling the heat like that so it's terrible yeah we'll have to bring you back for uh you know the episode 200 yeah no we would love yeah this is awesome we can keep this going for sure super super appreciative all your time where we'd obviously love for our audience to be able to follow you and engage um where how can they uh how can they follow you online your different companies anything you have um sure so if you go to joshsneed.com s-n-double-e-d you'll find links to all the social media you can see when once it gets updated and all this passes, it'll have I'll have updated tour dates. Um, and uh, if if you're on any social media, I'm probably on there too. So you know, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Add me on LinkedIn. I'll tell people you know how to do all the stuff that you say you do, whether you really do or not. I don't care. I'll endorse you 100 percent every time. <laughs> um, That's too so funny. for comedy stuff, just look up just search josh need you'll find me if you're really interested my full special uh is out there right now live in the dessert um so you can watch that on youtube or facebook and then my t-shirt company is uh cincyshirts.com for those who are listening locally um we got three stores once this passes they'll be open again but it's we're still open online cincy shirts and then we have uh oldschoolshirts.com which is like for those of you from cleveland you yeah. can go there basically it's cincy shirts but for cleveland stuff and then okay. uh and then the exciting news is that we're launching a new website in the next week or two called in the clutch and that will be all of our sports stuff so mlb players association mls players association professional wrestling negro league baseball all kinds of licensed apparel will be found on that website congratulations that's awesome you got a lot going on and can't wait to see you keep keep doing great things. So really appreciate your time. Calvin, do you have anything else? I know uh, he was smiling when you talked about your specials. What do you want to get out there? I know you got something in there. <laughs> Just the joke that you told about the uh, the guy when he was buying flowers, that, the floral <laughs> joke. That was probably I, – I, I was in tears. I, I was like <laughs> – like that was one of the funniest things I heard in a long time. So, Thank yeah, you, man. I've never, it's a true story. I've never seen Calvin nervous. It's like our 30th episode, and he was I've never seen him so geeked up like, and talked to anybody. Because so. I've sat front row at comedy shows and got roasted, and I was like, man, now i got to sit here and interview a comedian. I was like, 
you know, you were just ready to I get. Was, but jo- <laughs> jo- Josh took it easy on us, man. So no, um, as Kyle said, appreciate your time, you know, and everything you're doing and definitely a huge fan. And, you know, we want to definitely, we'll release this and um, show the support, you know, of your brand and, and obviously Cincinnati and everything that you're doing, man. So, you know, definitely. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys having me on. And honestly, I appreciate what you do, you know, like it's you, you, your, your daily work is something that is so important, especially in times like this to be able to help people who, you know, are in these sort of uncharted waters, but also this podcast, you know, like, I just think it's, you know, I get, I get, I try to be a, I'm fairly clean comedian, but more than anything, I just try to be positive. You know, I don't try to, to do like kind of what you were saying that a lot of comedians do of like making, getting laughs by putting other people down, you know, I'll poke fun at certain things, but I think the underdog mentality is just so important you know, if coronavirus aside, you could go on Facebook and just see all the negativity politically, religion or whatever it is. And I just I love the people who put positive stuff out into the world. And for you guys to bring on people who have examples of ways they've overcome adversity or just have good stories to tell that give people encouragement to maybe follow that dream of doing stand up or taking a dream job or doing something they've always wanted to and never tried it. Like that's more important than anything I've ever done. So I appreciate you guys. Well, that means a lot, man. Really, really appreciate it. Definitely helps support our why. And in times like this, it's, it's uh, much appreciated. So thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely guys. Anytime. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the underdog podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.